Hello, and welcome back to Matt's Music Class, the podcast for learning to understand music. It's been a while since the last episode, apologies for the technical difficulties in the intervening time, but hopefully you've had a chance to think about and practice the rhythms and meter exercises and concepts that we looked at in the first three lessons on your own. The rhythm tasks especially got challenging pretty fast, but just like developing any skill, slow, deliberate repetition is 90% of what it takes to master performing rhythms and feeling meters. So if you felt really challenged by one of the rhythm exercises from lessons one to three, I'd bet any amount of money that if you go back to it and try it again right now, or better yet, first just listen to it again, and then try the exercise really deliberately at half the speed, you will notice that it's at least a little bit easier. And that's why it's worth going back to previous lessons, skipping through to just the exercises and games, and doing them again just to reinforce those musical neural networks in your brain. So I'll assume you've done a bit of reinforcing of rhythm on your own. You'll find it very helpful in this lesson when we add rhythms and pitches together to play some melodies. Today's lesson will be all about melody, so let's start with a definition. Technically, all you need to have a melody is a series of pitches happening one after the other. As you'll remember we said last time, pitch is simply how high or how low a sound is. And when you make sounds of different pitch happen one after the other, they will necessarily be delineating time in some way, either with the predictable precision of beat and rhythm, or the unpredictable fuzziness of contemplative melodic improvisation. So, technically, any random series of highs and lows in time, like this, is just as much a melody as something like this. And yet, most of us will probably intuitively feel that second melody to be more melodic, at least in the context of most musical cultures. And one of the main goals for this lesson will be to understand a bit more about why that might be. What makes us hear a series of pitches in time as melodic? Okay, so I think a good shorthand definition of melody is just pitches with rhythms. If you take one of your rhythm compositions, assign each syllable a specific pitch, voila, you'll have a melody. And since the most useful thinking tool for specifying pitches is the piano-type keyboard, I'm going to be demonstrating and referring to the keyboard a lot for the rest of the lesson here, which is why your homework was to find yourself a keyboard instrument of any sort. I'll be mostly using a melodica, which is like a harmonica with a keyboard, and I like the harmonica for teaching these lessons because it allows you to keep speaking the rhythms, uh, as we've been doing with rhythm syllables, which is the best way to get rhythmic accuracy, transferring them to the instrument just by blowing air instead of making the vowel sound. So, for example, a nice rhythm like ta-di-ta-di-ta becomes and you still get the keyboard's relatively easy access to in-tune pitches. As long as you push the right key, you'll get the right pitch every time. It's pretty much the only wind instruments with both those beginner's advantages. Uh, nonetheless, if you want to use a regular piano or electronic keyboard, that's totally fine, but you'll have to remember three super important things when you're playing it. Number one, speak, or better yet, sing, what you play as you play it. So you actually want to say the rhythm syllables or the pitch names of what you're playing as you push each corresponding key with your fingers. We're trying to harness your facility with words to make learning music that much easier, but it won't work if you're not speaking the syllables or pitch names out loud. Number two, to play long notes like ta, you have to keep the key pushed down for the sound to sustain as much as it can. 
on the piano, this means the pitch will keep ringing while getting softer and softer. But electronic keyboards usually come with all sorts of synthesized sounds, like uh, a flute sound or a trumpet sound, uh, which you can use to keep the sound going strong as long as you keep the key pushed down. And number three, seriously, speak the rhythm syllables out loud as you play. It really is that important. So hopefully you have your keyboard instrument in front of you, just like I do. If not, the next few minutes are going to give your visual cortex a real workout, and I highly recommend listening to the exercises and melody analysis that we're about to do again later when you are looking at an actual keyboard, because it will be so much more concrete that way. First, let's take a minute to notice the way the keyboard is arranged and how it works with pitch names. If you look at just the black keys, you'll notice they're arranged in a repeating pattern from left to right as a group of two, then a space, then a group of three, space, group of two, space, group of three, space, etc. Each black key is nestled in between two white keys, and it's the two white keys in a row, with no black key in between, that create the spaces in the pattern of black key groups. So with a bit of staring at the arrangement of white and black keys, or a bit of math, three white keys around the group of two black keys, plus four white keys surrounding the group of three black keys, you'll find that this results in a repeating arrangement cycle of 12 keys. So if you start on any key, go 12 keys to the right or the left, without skipping any of the black keys, uh, then you'll get to a key that looks exactly the same in terms of the pattern of white and black keys to either side of it. Now, if you were a Martian looking at this keyboard, you could infer, because you're a very logical Martian, that the key you started on and the one 12 keys away from it in either direction might have something in common. And indeed they do. They have the same pitch name. But wait a minute. One of them is obviously going to be a lot higher than the other. It's 12 keys away. Why would they be given the same name when they will so obviously sound different? Well, let's see if we can hear the answer to that question. Find the first black key of a group of three, that is, the one in the group that's furthest to the left. We'll call this key uh, F-sharp for now, and preferably you found one somewhere in the middle of the keyboard. Put a finger of your left hand on the F-sharp you found, and here's mine, and then find the next F-sharp to the right. It's actually, it's exactly 12 keys away from your left hand, and put a right hand finger on it. Here's mine. So you can hear the one to the right is much higher than the, one, the first one on the left. Now play these two F-sharps at the same time, and listen to what they sound like together. Now play the lower one, your left hand, first, and then the higher one, your right hand, like this. And together again. You might notice that although when played one at a time, you can easily tell that these are two different pitches, one higher and one lower, when you play them at the same time, the sounds seem to blend together so seamlessly that they could easily be mistaken for one pitch. And just to make sure that's not true of just any two random pitches played simultaneously, uh, here's a random selection of two keys played at the same time. Right, so some of those were quite ugly, some of them were very pleasant, but none of them achieve the kind of blend you get when you play two keys exactly 12 keys apart from each other. And that's exactly why they get the same name. They just sound like higher or lower versions of each other. So although the standard piano has 88 keys, making pitches from very low to very high, we only need 12 names for all those keys, because many of them are just analogous to their lower and higher versions. Now, for the sake of making things as easy as possible for our fingers, we're going to set the black keys aside, now that they've helped us see some patterns on the keyboard, and we'll just deal with white keys for a while. Find the first black key in a group of two this time, again, preferably in the middle of the keyboard, and go to the white key just to the left of it. That's going to be called C. Now, let's play only white keys, one at a time, going to the right which will be going up in pitch. And notice that it will take seven white keys before the next key, the eighth, 
will be another C, because 12 keys total minus the 5 black keys leaves you with 7. Try playing them along with me here, white keys one at a time from C to the higher C. Here we go. Now, let's do the same thing, but starting on the high C we just played, and going backwards, in other words, going down in pitch. If you grew up pretty much anywhere in the Americas or Europe, that sequence of pitches should sound quite familiar. It's often referred to as Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. And that particular sequence, whether you play it high or low, is called the major scale. Major just because it's the most common in Western music. In Romance languages, those Do-Re-Mi syllables are just the names of the very keyboard keys that we just played. But in the English-speaking world, we use the first seven letters of the alphabet to name these white keys, A through G. So it goes... C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C... So let's play this major scale again with all white keys from a low C to a high C and back down. Remember, when you get to G, the next key starts the alphabet again at A. And I'll say the letter name of each key as we go. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Okay, so now you know how to figure out the name of any white key, assuming you remember how to find C. It's the one just below the first black key in a group of two. Let's start playing our first melodies. If you're right-handed, I want you to put your index finger on G, and from there you should be able to rest your thumb on the E below it, so skip the F, and you should also rest your middle finger on the A just above the G. If you prefer your left hand, your index finger goes on G, your ring finger goes on the E below it, and your thumb goes on the A above it. And remember to find G at the beginning, just start on a C and count up until you get there, going one white key at a time. C, D, E, F, G. Here's what they should sound like if you play each one in that order. G, E, A. By the way, when I say rest your finger on a key, that means you want to keep the finger lightly touching that key all the time, so that it's ready to play it just by pushing down. For now, we're only going to use these three pitches for some echoing games here, and notice how they relate to each other is very simple. A low one, the E, a middle one, the G, and a high one, the A. First, let's get the feel for playing different rhythms on each pitch. I'm going to speak a short rhythm pattern, and you're going to echo the pattern on your instrument, playing only the G key first. So, for example, if I say this rhythm, ta ta di ta you answer it by playing it on a G. I'm going to also play it at the same time with you on my melodica, so you'll know what it should sound like. And if you don't have a keyboard, you get to warm up your singing voice. G, 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 G. Ready? Here we go. Ta-dee-ta, ta-dee-ta. Ta-dee, ta-dee. ta ta di di ta Takadimi ta di ta Now the same thing, but this time play your answers on the E key or sing along on a lower on the lower pitch. E Takadimi ta takadimi ta 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 di and now on the A key. 
Ta, di takadimi ta. Ta, ta di. Ta, di ta. Okay, now we're ready to combine these three keys into melody patterns. I'll sing the pattern in letter names first, and then I'll play it so that you can play along with me and get the hang of it. For example, G A G. Let's try some simple ones first, and then they'll get a little more complicated. G E G E. A G A G. A E A. G E A A A. A G E. A G E E G E A. Now a challenge for your ear sense. I'm just going to play the pattern again with just the keys E G and A, and I want you to try to echo each one, each pattern on your keyboard, just by listening to me play it. Listen for the pattern of low, middle, and high. To figure out which keys to push and in what order. So, for example, if I play, that was middle, high, middle, low. So it must be G A G E. Try it out and see how you do. I'll start every pattern on a G, and for each one, I'll sing the answer after giving you a moment to figure it out and play it for yourself. That was G A E. G G G A. G E E E. G E E A. Okay, now we're going to learn a real simple song, one small piece at a time. I'm going to first say the letter names of each little pattern, and then I'm going to sing the letter names of each pattern slowly, so that you can try、uh, playing the keys as I sing them, and then I'll play the pattern so you can play it along with me again. First, play this pattern. G E, G E. Now this pattern, G G E, G G E. Now put the two together, and you might recognize the song already. G E G G E, G E. G G E. Next little piece is the hardest one. G G E A. It's four notes right in a row. G G E A. Last one is G G E. G G E. Put it together with the hard one, G G E A G G E, G G E A G G E. And the whole thing from the very beginning, G E G G E G G E A G G E. G E G G E G G E A G G E.
Ah, doesn't that take you back? As with many children's songs, any number of words have been used to fit this melody, but the one I like best is Rain, Rain, Go Away. Rain, rain, go away. Let's try saying the words in your, in your mind, if you're using a melodica, while playing the melody on the keyboard. Remember, the first half is G, E, G, G, E. Rain, rain, go away. And then... G, G, E, A, G, G, E. Come again another day. Whole thing now. Rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. Now this may seem like a ridiculously simple childish melody, but let's see just how much we can learn about what makes something melodic by looking closely at how it's constructed. You might notice that this melody feels like it comes in two halves. It makes one short statement, and then answers itself with another statement of the same length. Now I say it's the same length not because the two statements have the same number of notes. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But because they have the same number of beats. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And what is it that makes that second statement feel like it answers the first? Well, if we zoom in with our magnifying glass and look at the patterns inside each statement, we can actually hear how the whole melody is grown like a crystal out of a single molecule, the very first pattern you hear in the song. If we go through the song from the perspective of a composer, perhaps a very small composer, we've got the first two notes, and from that point, we have just two basic options for what should come next, either the same thing or something different. So which one was chosen? Aha, a trick question. The third option, which is the most common, was something that's both the same and different. Take the first molecule and repeat it with just one tiny variation, in this case using a toddy instead of a ta for the G pitch. And we've got something that's technically different, but so similar that it feels like a repetition just with a different inflection. So that's the first statement, and what comes next? another inflection of the second inflection, followed by an exact repetition of that second inflection. So the whole thing goes molecule, same molecule, but using different isotopes, so we could call it isotope number one. Then another isotopes, but different from number one, so we'll call it isotope number two. Back to isotope number one again, and how to complete the palindrome? Start the whole thing again. Simple though it may be, this melody provides an extremely satisfying internal structure that just begs to repeat itself. And Lord knows, young children can repeat this structure many times before they get tired. But what's amazing is that that's not an accident. It's a design feature of the structure of the melody itself. And more importantly, this melody demonstrates that one way to construct a satisfying melody is by continually mixing two basic ingredients, repetition and variation. Once you have your molecules of melody, which could be as small as just two notes, although the molecules on which most songs are built tend to have more than just two notes, but once you have your molecule, you can turn it into a whole song with a compelling melodic structure just by repeating it with some degree of variation. You might follow it up with an exact repetition, or a repetition that changes only one or two notes, or you might follow it up with something that's so different that it's just a different molecule, and then you'll have two molecules to work with that you can put into sequences, repeating and varying as you choose, and the sky's the limit. Just remember that too much repetition gets boring pretty quick, but too many different molecules starts to approach patternless nonsense. Every good melody is constructed of building blocks that fall somewhere between the two extremes of all the same and all different. So listening to a melody as an abstract structure built out of the repetition and variation of melodic molecules, that's the main way we can perceive and understand 
the meaning, the sort of narrative meaning, in music apart from the words. So let's see if we can find that kind of meaning in a slightly more complex song. Let's get our keyboards ready again. We're going to play another song, one small bit at a time together, but this song is going to use five different pitches. So this time, if you're right-handed, rest your thumb on the G key, and just rest each successive finger on each successive white key above it. That means to the right. So index on A, middle on B, ring on C, and pinky on D. If you're left-handed, the pinky will go on the G, then ring on A, middle on B, index on C, and thumb on D. So let's get used to this by playing each successive finger from left to right, which will sound low to high, and then right to left, high to low. It should sound just like the first five pitches in the major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so. Try playing it slowly along with me. G, A, B, C, D. Okay, now let's play some small patterns and put them together to build a song. First, I'll say the letter names of the pattern. Then I'll sing them slowly so you can try playing the keys as I sing them. And we'll play the pattern together. First pattern is... G, B, C, D. So that's thumb, middle, ring, pinky. Or for lefties, pinky, middle, index, thumb. And notice how this pattern, G, B, C, D, it starts out by skipping over that A, but then after that, it just moves to the next white key up each time, which is called moving by step, as opposed to moving by skip, which is what it did at the very beginning, skipping over the A. So try playing this pattern as I sing it. I'm going to sing the letter names, you play them on your keyboard. G, B, C, D. And let's play it together now. Next pattern should be a bit easier because it's exactly the same. G, B, C, D. G, B, C, third pattern is the same again. G, B, C, D. Now we get something different. It's going to go B, G, B, A. B, G, B, A. Now the hard part is going to be putting all these together. It's just the first pattern three times, and then the second one we just played. But be ready to follow me, because the timing of going into that different pattern might take you by surprise. I'll say the whole thing. G, B, C, D. G, B, C, D. G, B, C, D. B, G, B, A. Now you play it while I sing them. G, B, C, D. G, B, C, D. G, B, C, D. B, G, B, A. And let's play them together. Now the song starts to get more challenging, because we'll have many different patterns to remember. So just try this one first. B, B, A, G, G, B. It's kind of a long one, and there's a pause in the middle of it. So I'll say it again, and then I'll sing it. You play along with me. B, B, A, G, G, B. Now play along while I sing. G, B. And now let's try playing it together. Next one's different, but simpler. It's just three short Ds and then a long C. D, 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 C. 
and that C is quite long, so remember to keep the key pushed down. D, 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 C. If we put those two together, it's B, B, A, G, G, B, D, 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 C. B, B, A, G, G, B, D, 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 C. Next one, B, C, D, B. B, C, D, B. And last one, G, A, G. G, A, G. Now the last two together, B, C, D, B, G, A, G, B, C, D, B, G, A, G, Okay, now this will be a challenge, but just try your best to put this whole second half together. I'll say it slowly, try to follow along and remember it, play it as I sing it, and then play along with me while I play it. B, B, A, G, G, B, D, 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 C, B, C, D, B, G, A, G. Now I'll sing it and try playing it along with me. B, B, A, G, G, B, D, 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 C, B, C, D, B, G, A, G. And now let's try playing it slowly together. Okay, now I'm going to play the whole thing. The first half, which had just the three, uh, three patterns right in a row of the same thing, and then it changed at the end there. And then I'm going to put that together with the second half. So I'll play the whole thing slowly while I'm saying the pitch names, and you can do your best to play along with me. And then I'll play it again, saying the pitch names a bit faster, and try your best to keep up. Here we go. G, B, C, D, second time, G, B, C, D, one more time and then the new pattern, G, B, C, D, B, G, B, A, here comes the second half, starts on B, 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 A, G, G, B, D, 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 C, last two short patterns starting on B, B, C, D, B, G, A, G. Now let's play it a bit faster. Try your best to keep up. Remember it starts on G, B, C, D. Here we go. G, B, C, D, again, G, B, C, D, third time. G, B, C, D, B, G, B, A, get ready to start on B, 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 A, G, G, B, D, 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 C, B, C, D, B, G, A, G. 
So you may recognize this melody as the African-American spiritual When the Saints Go Marching In, which is a very popular melody, especially for beginning music students, mainly because it's nice and catchy, but only uses five pitches, which all fit on one hand on the keyboard. So your homework will be to practice this melody and do your best to be able to play it from memory. When the Saints Go Marching In is obviously a much more complex melody than Rain Rain Go Away, but let's see if they are constructed by the same method of repetition with variation that we saw earlier. So the first thing we hear is this four-note molecule that like runs up the stairs to the long D. Then, just to make sure nobody missed it, we get an exact repetition. And the next thing that happens reveals why the song started with the same thing twice, the same exact repetition twice. It was a setup. The third molecule fools you into thinking it's yet another exact repetition, but instead of having a long D at the end, it uses what we thought would be an arrival point, that long D, as the beginning of a completely different molecule, which does this playful skipping maneuver down and then up to circle around and finally land on that pitch that we skipped earlier, the long A. Now this melody could have been constructed differently and still ended up on that A. It could have done something like this. But that wouldn't be nearly as interesting because it doesn't set up any expectations at all. It was just three different molecules with no discernible relationship to each other, so at that point our brains would quickly be losing patience in waiting for some kind of pattern to latch onto. The actual opening half of this song gives our pattern-loving brains a delightful surprise after being led down this garden path of exact repetition when we get a new surprise molecule that we weren't expecting, like any good punchline. Of course, this isn't to say that this kind of blow-by-blow -blow analysis of expectations and surprises all happening within like five seconds is the way you're supposed to consciously experience any melody, but your brain is doing this kind of pattern recognition processing automatically, and just like when you're listening to a good joke delivered well, it rewards itself with delightful emotions every time it recognizes a surprising twist in the plot. And the more you practice paying attention to those moments evoked by the structural procedures of melody while you're listening, the deeper and more satisfying your appreciation of music will become. So back to the saints. We've now got our two molecules, and I'll play each one separately because we need to be quite familiar with them to recognize how the second half of the song, which on first hearing might seem totally different, is actually built from them. Remember, the first one was this running up to the D. And the second actually comes kind of fused to the first because it uses that same ending D as the beginning note, and it starts out skipping downward. I also want to flag that last long A and just point out that there are actually three things that combine to make that last A feel really special. It's the longest note in the song up to that point, it marks exactly the halfway point of the song, and it's just one step higher than the G where the song started. That special feeling on the A is something we're going to explore in the next lesson, so just try to keep it in the back of your mind for now. So again, our two molecules... The very next thing we hear is this. Huh. Now, what could that be related to? Notice how it does this running thing to a long note, but instead of running upward, like our first molecule, it runs downward. It's not exactly a mirror image of our first molecule, but I feel like it's close enough to count as maybe a distant isotope of our first molecule. It's a big change, to be sure, but I think the relationship is still preserved. Okay, and what comes right after that? Huh a little pattern that skips upward, instead of the downward skipping from our second molecule. Compare this second molecule and this sort of uh, mirror image isotope of it. 
So here's another mirror isotope, this time of our second molecule. And what's more, these mirror isotopes come scrunched even closer than our two original molecules were. Things are heating up here in the middle of this melody, which is exactly what you want in a dramatic story arc, isn't it? Where does all the hectic, confusing action happen in every story? In the middle. The next little molecule tells us we've reached the breaking point, and the only relationship it can preserve with previous molecules and isotopes is that rhythm of three short notes followed by a long note. But even that sounds weirdly different than the other times it happens, because, as we'll see later, it's been shifted over by half a beat. And this is the most exciting part of the melody to me, exactly because of that little rhythmic shift, which is perfect for the words that go with this little pattern. Oh, how I want to be in that number. It's where you want to be, and it's totally different and more exciting than anything we've sung so far. It's just brilliant. So to show you what I mean, I'm going to play all the other patterns from the song that have this same rhythm, three shorts and a long, while tapping the beat. And then I'm going to play this breaking point molecule while tapping the beat, so you can just hear the difference. Isn't that great? We're going to come right back to that rhythmic shift soon, but now that we've reached the breaking point molecule that's totally different from everything else in the song, how is it going to wrap everything up and bring us back home? Remember the point where the first molecule surprised us by fusing with the second skipping molecule? Here it is again to remind you. Now here's the ending of the song. It's almost an exact repetition of that little punchline from the first half, just changing the last two notes. Instead of... It's... How great is that? Ah, it's so satisfying to bring it back home and end on the same note you started on. Okay, so that was a really long analysis of, of uh, what, a 20-second melody? But boy, that 20 seconds contains multitudes. So let's quickly review the whole song and make a map of the whole structure. We have Molecule 1, Repeat Molecule 1, then Molecule 1 fused with Molecule 2, and let's call that whole first half a capital letter A section. Now, if we're going to call that first half the A section, what should the second half be called? Well, let's see what it's made of. We have isotope of molecule 1 fused with isotope of molecule 2, which itself is then also kind of fused with molecule 3, and then a super closely related isotope of the fused molecules 1 and 2. On the one hand, there's a lot of different stuff happening because those isotopes have very different chemical properties, metaphorically speaking. But then, there is that almost exact repetition of the fused molecules from section A at the very end. So, maybe we should call this second half a capital letter B to show it's got a lot of different stuff, but add a plus A in parenthesis right next to it to show that it definitely ends right back where it began. Now, considering how satisfying it is to end a dramatic or narrative structure right back home where you began, it should come as no surprise that this map of our song's structure, A, B, parenthesis plus A, or just A, B, A, is probably the most prevalent pattern for the large-scale structure of melodic music all over the world. Once you get into the habit of listening for it, you'll see it pop up just about all over the place, and even in other art forms. So you know how sometimes you'll read a review or something that talks about how this painting or play or poem has a, quote, musical structure or, quote, musical quality to it? Well, more often than not, this is the kind of thing that they're talking about, that it exhibits a kind of metaphysical structure that presents you with an A section, then presents you with very different stuff, usually that's more dynamic or has more conflict, that's the B section, and then it resolves everything by returning home again to the A section again, 
usually slightly altered to feel a bit more like an ending than a beginning. So that's the complex repetition and variation that makes this beloved melody so fascinating. And for more reinforcement of listening for melodic structure, I'm going to show you another of my favorite African-American spirituals in a few minutes. But first, let me swing back around to that rhythmic shift in Molecule 3 of When the Saints Go Marching In, so we can figure out what exactly is going on there. Let me play it again with the beat. I actually want to play it a bunch of times so you can really get the feel for it, and I want you to listen for where all the notes land in relation to the beat. Now, as I said before, the rhythm here would be exactly the same as the opening rhythm of the whole song if you took them out of context. They're both made up of three short notes, followed by a long note. One, two, three, long. One, two, three, long. What's different is where the notes are placed in relation to the beat. Molecule 1 has its first short note happen in between beats, like so. Beat, 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 one, two, three. Whereas Molecule 3 has its first short note happen exactly on a beat. Beat, 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 one, two, three. So that means that the first thing that happens in the song, if you like, is actually a half beat rest. And the rhythm syllables for Molecule 1 are rest di ta di ta. And the rhythm syllables of Molecule 3 are ta di ta di. What on earth? We just made a D syllable into a long note. Can we do that? Well, sure we can. And there's a special word for the special effect it produces in the rhythmic flow. It's called syncopation. Syncopation is based on the general principle that, all other things being equal, longer notes will feel more rhythmically important than shorter notes. And these molecules 1 and 3 from When the Saints Go Marching In demonstrate this principle perfectly. The short notes feel like they're leading up to something, the long note is when they've arrived. Once your brain has locked onto the beat, it will automatically expect important things to mostly happen on a beat. Syncopation plays around with that expectation by turning a note that comes in between beats, the D in a toddy, for example, which your brain thinks for half a second is just leading to the important thing coming on the next beat, into the important thing because it's unexpectedly a longer note. And then your brain has to quickly reconfigure as it realizes, aha, that long important note actually anticipated the beat and I didn't even see it coming. Silly me. That's what syncopation is all about, and that extra work your brain has to do to keep track of it is what makes it feel more dynamic and exciting than rhythms that only put important things on the beat. Now let's get familiar with some of the more common syncopated rhythms you might hear, especially in popular styles of Western music. Tap the beat with me here. I'm going to speak a syncopated rhythm pattern. You echo it while keeping your beat steady. We'll start with the one we just discovered in When the Saints Go Marching In, and then we'll do, we'll do each one twice in a row. Here we go. Just echo the rhythms I speak while tapping the beat along with me with your hands. ta di ta di Ta di ta di Ta di di ta Ta di di ta Ta di ta di ta Ta di Ta di di di. Ta di di di. Awesome. In the next lesson, we're going to practice syncopated rhythms some more by actually playing them on the keyboard. But for now, that should give you an idea of how syncopation feels and why that, that syncopated moment in When the Saints Go Marching In is so exciting. And now, as I promised, I want to share with you one of my other favorite African-American spirituals, which makes nearly constant use of syncopation. And in its way, it's sort of the mirror image of When the Saints Go Marching In. And it's called, This Train is Bound for Glory. Listen for how often this melody uses the rhythms ta-dee-dee-ta-dee-ta-dee, and just a straight-up ta-dee. I'll play the melody by itself first, and then I'll sing it so you can hear the words as well. 
Here it is. And let me add a little piano accompaniment to sing it for you. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, this train. This train is bound for glory, if you ride it you must be holy. This train is bound for glory, this train. That's a fun song. And let me just quickly show you its structure so that you can see how it compares with When the Saints Go Marching In. The first molecule features a syncopated rhythm at the beginning and at its end. Now that's a pretty long molecule, and you could think of it as having two smaller parts to it. There's the syncopation, followed by a bunch of short notes, followed by another syncopation to round it off. So it's like a little fractal ABA molecule, which is really cool. Then we have a repetition of that molecule number one, but with a few changes to its pitches. It uses higher pitches and doesn't run downwards in the middle, uh, in the middle short note section, but instead uses more repeated notes. So although it's changed substantially, it's still a molecule number one, just with very different isotopes. So the first half of the song, we'll call it the big A section, is just molecule number one, followed by molecule number one with different isotopes. So this A section is more straightforward than the A section of When the Saints Go Marching In, but it makes up for that with all those exciting syncopations. Next, we see a technique borrowed from When the Saints Go Marching In. The second half of the song starts by making you think it's doing another version of molecule number one, which is something we've heard twice already, but then it fuses an entirely new molecule to the end of it. Aha! Just like the punchline of molecule number two from When the Saints Go Marching In. We get a new molecule grafted on to a version of molecule number one. And not only that, if you notice how this molecule number two is just made up of a bunch of short note repeated pitches, followed by running downward short notes, you'll realize that it just took the repeated pitches from the molecule one isotope combined it with the running downward notes in the middle of molecule number one, and voila, a new baby from mixing old genetic material, so to speak. And what should we expect once we've heard something surprising and different enough to qualify as a B section? The return of the A section, of course. My goodness, not only do these two melodies avail themselves, of the same surprise grafting technique for presenting their new molecules, but they actually follow the exact same ABA pattern in their larger sectional structure. Of course, that shouldn't be too surprising since they come from the exact same music culture, but I think it's pretty cool that underneath the surface differences between these two songs, I mean, it would be pretty hard to mistake one for the other, the way the melodies are put together marks them as very close musical siblings. Now, just to give you an idea of how prevalent this large ABA pattern is, at least in most musics in North and South America and Western Europe, I'm going to play you two quick examples and point out the A, B, the a and B sections as they come up. This first one is an Irish reel called The Silver Spire, and if you listen closely, you'll notice that even though it's longer than the spirituals, it has the exact same sectional structure where the A section takes up half the length, and then the second half of the song starts out with B material, so obviously different melodic molecules, and then ends with molecules from the A section to create a sort of B parenthesis A section. Have a listen. Here's the A molecules. And here's B. Here's parenthesis A. And this second example is probably Dave Brubeck's most popular jazz tune. It's called Take Five. It's even longer than the Iris tune because it's got three full sections, but the third, of course, is actually a complete repetition of the full A section. So it's the full A-B-A structure. 
Here's the A section. And here comes B. the entire A section again. Okay, so we've learned that melody is generally just when you add pitches to your rhythms. So giving pitches some kind of forward movement in time. We looked at the layout and alphabetical letter names of pitches on the standard piano-type keyboard, finding out that all the white keys from a C to the next higher C make up the familiar Do-Re-Mi arrangement called the major scale. Remember, to find C, you look for the white key just to the left of a group of two black keys. We played the children's song Rain, Rain, Go Away using the keys E, G, and A. We then used five keys, G, A, B, C, and D, to play When the Saints Go Marching In. So your playing homework will be to practice When the Saints Go Marching In and try to be able to play it from memory. If you want to practice playing along with me while I'm saying the pitch names like we did before, it's at around 33 minutes and 50 seconds of this episode, so you can go right back to there to practice. Now, the other playing homework I want you to do is simpler and more exploratory. Remember Rain, Rain, Go Away? It went like this. See if you can play along with, it, with me here. G, E, G, G, E. G, G, E, A, G, G, E. Now, if we were to play exactly the same patterns with our fingers on the keyboard, but just starting on a different key, so let's say I started on E instead of on G. So I'll move my whole hand down by two white keys. Will it still sound the same? Let me try it. Kind of similar, but noticeably different, right? What if I start on D? Huh, that one did actually sound like a lower version of the same song. So there are some keys you can start this song and it sounds right, but other keys you start on will make it sound wrong. I want you to explore playing this song starting on different keys and see if you can find how many places will sound right versus wrong. And if you want, you can even try mixing in some black keys and see what happens. So those are your two playing assignments, When the Saints Go Marching In from memory and Moving Rain Rain Go Away all over the keyboard. Besides learning to play melodies on the keyboard, we also learned a new rhythm, or rather a rhythmic concept, called syncopation. So remember, that's where you have longer, and thus more important notes, coming in between beats rather than on the beat. And this creates the exciting effect of important notes kind of anticipating the beat. Our second African-American spiritual gave us lots of syncopation in its main rhythm pattern. And finally, we looked at all these melodies in extremely fine-grained detail to see how they achieve an abstract sense of order and unity by being constructed out of little melodic molecules that evolve and relate to each other by a process of repetition and variation. So your listening homework is just to listen to a recording of a song that you like, or you could sing or play a song that you know really well instead if you want to, and try to listen for the very first melodic molecule of the song. If the song is being sung, as opposed to played by an instrument, the words can be very distracting for this exercise, so you might need to find an instrumental rendition or just find a tune without words, and just try to capture its first little musical gesture in your memory, and then listen for whether it ever happens again in the song, perhaps in some isotope variant. It might not, though for most tunes it probably will, but if it doesn't, then try listening to the song again and listen for maybe the second molecule and see if that ever comes back in the rest of the song. Just listening this closely to one extremely important and pattern-rich aspect of music, namely the melody, while trying to keep your attention on noticing these little molecules of melody as they go by, 
is actually a great meditation slash mindfulness exercise. So if you have some sort of meditation practice in your schedule already, try this sort of listening as a new mindfulness exercise. Get two birds with one stone. In the next lesson, we'll analyze some different melodic structures, perhaps more complex than ABA, but still making constant use of the all-important repetition and variation. We'll also talk about why the major scale sounds the way it does, and how it determines what pitch a melody really wants to end on. So as always, let me tell you where you can find the full recordings of the examples in this lesson, and encourage you to buy music from musicians you like. The Irish Reel, The Silver Spire, is actually in the middle of the track that starts with The Blackberry Blossom on the 2002 Smithsonian Folkways album, First Through the Gates, performed by Brian Conway, Andy McGann, Pat Mangan, and John Doyle. And then Take 5 was originally recorded for Dave Brubeck Quartet's 1959 album, Time Out. Finally, if you find this podcast valuable and think this episode or any previous episode was worth the price of your morning latte, you can support my efforts to make more music lessons like this by donating a few bucks to the podcast on my website, mwdaytonmusic.com. Just go to the episode you like and click the donate button. Thanks. That's it for me. I'll catch you next time. Happy listening.